is Alice. Umbrella can manipulate the world. Everyone I've ever known and everything I've ever done is being used against me. What the hell are those things? Guess we're not friends anymore. Hello everyone and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi as we begin, or as I begin, sort of uh, year seven of the podcast. Uh, I'm Rico, your host, and today is September 16th, 2012. This is going to be podcast 402 for the show, uh, and that little TV spot you heard at the beginning was for the new Resident Evil Retribution movie. What does that make it? The fifth of those movies, I think? I've seen all those and, and enjoyed them uh, quite a bit, and uh, I think they're kind of fun, and I'm going to try to get out to see this one, too, sometime soon. Haven't seen it yet. Just came out on Friday. Anyway, though, today is the uh, you know first 400 series, not counting the anniversary show a couple of weeks ago of the podcast. And, and what better way to start it off with a look at a, a classic uh, TNG early first season episode. Well, early in the series. Uh, I think it's later in season one. Anyway, the episode is... Let me get the name right. I think it's like 1100001, I think is what it is. <laughs> anyway, it is the you know, it is that episode with the binars with minuet, minuet and uh it's a really cool episode and what what really surprised me about it and I've said this many times on the show, well maybe not many, but quite a few. I thought for sure I had podcasted about this this episode before because it's one of the first season episodes uh one of uh you know there's a good handful or more but i I think this is a terrific first season episode i think there's a lot of cool things about it i i I enjoy uh, everything that really happens in this episode i think it's a good episode well written and acted and and plus it's a little later in season one so i think the the actors and characters are getting a little bit better and a little more defined anyway it's i i think it's a great episode and i instead of uh my normal common where I play the episode and then uh, comment as we go. I spent some time this morning watching the Blu-ray version of this, and season one of TNG is on Blu-ray, and gathered some clips from that. So that's the way we're going to look at this episode. And we've got uh, you know other things to talk about, including, of course, the big announcement from a week or more ago about the uh, title for the uh, next Star Trek movie. And I think Joe, last week when he did that Trek game podcast, talked about it. And uh, I'm going to talk about it some more today and, and give you my thoughts uh, a little bit more on that as we continue in uh Season seven of <laughs> Treks in Sci-Fi. Uh, season seven, you know, that's when all the most of the Star Trek series, the newer ones, ended. So who knows what will happen in the next year or so for the show? Anyway, let's do it. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi podcast with Rico Dosti and friends. Your weekly dose of geeky goodness. Right, 
Again, thanks to uh, Rick Moyer for uh, supplying uh, many uh, cool new audio things to play for the podcast. I want to create some new stuff, too. I, I planned on doing that yesterday, just didn't get a chance to do it. I, I want to create some more bumpers and audio for the show and slip those in as we begin the new uh, year of uh, podcasting for me. But I, I didn't do it yet, so there. That's it. <laughs> Anyway, I hope everyone's been doing well. It seems like it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. You know, I guess like this, you know, two weeks ago we did the big anniversary show. I, I did a video stream of that. I recorded the audio, but it's a, it's a much more laid back kind of casual show. Uh, did a little Rico dancing and had some fun. So it's actually been about four weeks since I've done a normal just podcast for uh treks and sci-fi yeah is that right four weeks yeah so two weeks ago was that and then two weeks before that was the last time i did a show a regular one so th this is uh you know i left to a little slower start it's about 10 30 this morning here in michigan and uh just uh spent some time like i said watching the blu-ray version of the tng episode um and that we're going to cover today and and gathered some clips took some still shots too you know the blu-rays are, are just fantastic they they really look and sound amazing i, I i'm very impressed with with the quality and uh, I, I know they're a little expensive right now and season two will be coming out uh, in early december but if you have a blu-ray uh player and you and you are a tng fan and, and love that series you owe it to yourself you know ask for them for the holidays coming up or whatever you only have two seasons at that point to get but uh I, they're just really, really amazing to watch these. It's almost like watching something brand new and fresh again, even if you know the stories. So I uh, highly, highly recommend these and a lot of cool extras on them as well. Uh, before we really get into the meat of the, the podcast, I want to mention just a few uh, things, sort of business-type issues. Or, uh, I hate that word, business issues. It's not really that. But the first one is uh, every September, um, the hosting company that I use, DreamHost, that is the annual time uh, when I, I need to pay them a bunch of money for the hosting of the podcast, the hosting of the website, the forums, everything related to Treks and Sci-Fi, the daily picks that you see, all that stuff, all gets hosted on DreamHost and uh, the the fees come up at this time of year there's a, a sort of a moderate monthly fee for uh, expanded uh, memory for the the site to, to allow it to move a little bit better than uh, I found that that was helpful a, a couple of years ago I added that so there's a small fee each month I pay but the big fee is in uh, September each year for DreamHost so if you would like uh, and can afford any kind of a donation to the show, I know uh, several people have from the forum and Facebook page. Uh, you know we are on Facebook as well right now. Just search for Treks in Sci-Fi and you'll find our group and just request to be added and, and you'll get added pretty much uh, as long as you look like a, you know, a normal goofy geek. <laughs> or maybe don't look like that. I don't know what that looks like, but uh, anyway... If you have, you know, a few dollars in PayPal or whatever that you want to send uh, my way for the podcast and the hosting, that would be terrific. There are links all over the place. There, are, uh, there was a post I put in the Facebook uh, page for the group. There's also, of course, links on the main website. Uh, I think I have a contribution uh, PayPal link on the right-hand side uh, near the top of the main treksinsci-fi.com webpage. Uh, basically, if you just go to PayPal, type in treksf, 
at gmail.com. And if you just want to do that, that's even easier to send direct funds over, you know, 5, 10, 20, whatever you feel like, whatever you can do, that would be very helpful. I'm always uh, trying to uh, enhance the show, enhance the site, enhance things uh, for your listening pleasure and for fun. Uh, and uh, anyway, that is my sales pitch for the year. Pretty much, uh, it's it's really appreciated. Uh, I just uh, can't say enough at how much that helps out, and and how much I appreciate anyone who's donated so far, and any future ones. And I'll probably do one more little pitch like this in a couple of weeks. Uh, but once September is over, then you won't hear too much from me. I always throw in occasionally, you know, a thing about uh, donating to the show, but you won't hear too much from me for the next year until this comes up again. So uh, you've got that. Uh, hey. You know, not a whole lot of advertising and, and, and begging for funds on, on Treks and Sci-Fi. I haven't really tried to do that too much. I've tried to occasionally to get, you know, link up with with people for, for you know, uh, you know, commercial spots like audio books and whatever. But anyway, it just it, it always seems to be it ends up being a little bit more bother than it's worth. You guys usually come through for me and cover the costs of doing the show and hosting it. So uh, so that uh, works out pretty well. Um, I think I'm going to take actually a short little break, collect what I want to talk about, my thoughts in terms of Trek and other things, and I'll be back in a moment or two. So, uh, and I think that was all the business type stuff that I wanted to mention. Oh, I guess the last thing would be, uh, I'll be setting the schedule for October pretty soon. And if anyone wants to do a guest spot there, I think we have at least one person maybe already kind of lined up, but there's probably another spot. But if you're ever interested in doing a, a guest spot on the show, every other week we get a guest host in here, or guest hosts to talk about whatever uh, subject that they have. We had that terrific show last week with Joe and, and a couple of Star Trek games that I really enjoyed when I played them. And uh, anyway, we have uh, always openings for that. So send me an email, treksf at gmail.com. And we'll get you uh, added to the podcast schedule. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Rick. And we're the hosts of the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. We're celebrating the original Battlestar Galactica series. And we're doing that by uh, watching an episode in total and commenting on it as it runs. And you know what's really fun about it is we're attempting to bring guest hosts in with us so that we can talk kind of like that mystery science theater kind of thing and we sometimes we make a little fun of the episode and sometimes we talk about how cool it is so you just never know what you're going to get when you listen yes so come and join us we're on itunes you can find us by searching for ragtag fugitive podcast and we're on the stitcher radio network you also can visit our cool website and make comments and have fun looking around in the officer's lounge and all that jazz by going to ragtag fugitive podcast you have our word as a warrior. Word as a warrior? Plank down your cubits and come on over. And let's play a game of Pyramid, the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. By your command. All right, I've got about two or three at least Star Trek-related stories to talk about. Uh, first off, I want to uh, congratulate Walter Koenig, uh, who played Chekhov on the original series earlier this past week or I guess last week now, last Monday, I think it was, on September 10th, he finally got his uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame star, you know, where those, um, you know, celebrities will get a little star on the, on the, uh, the Hollywood Walk uh, of Fame. <laughs> yeah, duh. Anyway, uh, Nichelle Nichols was there, George Takei, uh, Leonard Nimoy, and to support him, uh, no William Shatner in sight. Uh, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it was nice that they came out and, uh, supported Walter. You know, he's had a, he's had a difficult time in the last, uh, you know, 
a year or two about, you know, his son passing and things. And it just, uh, anyway, um, it was terrific. He's a great guy. I've met him a couple times at conventions. Uh, very gracious, very nice to the fans always. And, uh, you know, I loved him on uh, uh, Babylon 5 as well when he played Bester. I mean, he's just, you know, I, I sometimes with these original series Star Trek stars especially, I always felt, especially with, you know, beyond the, the main couple, three of the top guys, you know, that they, you know, I think a lot of opportunities and they were terrific actors and I think they missed out on a lot of things because of how much Star Trek kind of they were identified with that. And eventually a lot of them have got other things and other stuff to do. Uh, Walter did pretty good. You know, he, he's also a cool writer. He's written comics, novels, uh, plays, I think, as well. I mean, he's just a multi-talented guy, a terrific guy, great guy. And I'm very happy that he was able to get his walk of fame uh, Hollywood uh, star out there. And uh, it's uh, great to... Great for him to have that. Uh, also, related to that, uh, he and Tim Russ and, and some other Star Trek people are, are going to be putting together or are putting together this thing called um, Star Trek. It's a sort of, a, I guess, a fan film. I hate to call these fan films because they get people that are, uh, you know, celebrities that uh, and actors from the shows in them. Anyway, they're doing this thing called Star Trek Renegades, and it looks like it's set in the era of, you know, just po post-Voyager of, of that time frame and everything, but uh, uh, there's nothing much out on it yet. Not a lot's been revealed, but it looks like some kind of, uh, you know, there there's a concern or there's something about a group in Starfleet that may be uh, not acting for the best interest of Starfleet. Anyway, there are going to be other people like Gary Graham, uh, Manu Itranami. He was Ikib on Voyager. Uh, Richard Hurd uh, is going to be involved as well. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, some of these guys were on board for uh, uh, the uh, Tim Russ project. You know, Tim Russ is kind of behind this one too, but he did that uh, cool uh, Trek film uh, of Gods and Men. Anyway, uh, I'm going to play. There is a very short little trailer they did. I think it's only about 30 seconds or so, maybe a little bit more. Anyway, this is on YouTube. You can find if you search for Star Trek Renegades. They're also on the web. I think their website is just Star Trek Renegades, and also uh, they're on Facebook as well. So listen to this, and I'll be right back. If we do not act immediately, our life as we know it, perhaps the very existence of the Federation will end. Starfleet will not be able to assist us in this matter. Oh. There is something not quite right within Starfleet. Then we must find the other means. You must assemble a new crew. Quietly. They will be hunted as outcasts and criminals. Yet, they may well be our last chance. Yeah, so when you get a chance, watch that trailer. Uh, like I said, you there's not a lot there yet, but uh, I think uh, it's cool. These guys do a good job usually. When I, I liked Of Gods and Men quite a bit, and... Uh, this will be fun too. There's a lot of you know a lot of cool web track movies that we get to see. You know little films related to 
it either the original series or uh, the other series. It's just great, and you know, with the technology people have available, it can make some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, what else we got Star Trek wise? I know there was another story or two I wanted to talk about. Well, uh, I don't think I was. Um, able to comment on this much yet but you know star trek celebrated its 46th anniversary uh that was kind of over last weekend i think it was just like yeah just last weekend uh and uh, google put out a nice little cool little google doodle like they do it was up all last weekend and that was great uh, you know they they showed a little bit of the bridge transporter room uh, they even beamed a couple of them down to uh, fight the gorn there were some tribbles and and just you know there's obviously some trek fans at google and uh gosh we've only got four more years and it'll be star trek's 50th 50th anniversary from the the start of the airing of the first original series episode is kind of when they go uh, by celebrating that uh on september 8th 1966 is when it was so Anyway, uh, so that's great. I've already mentioned the new uh, Season 2 Blu-ray set coming in December. Some of these things I know Joe talked about last week, uh, but I wanted to get a chance to talk about them too because, hey, you know, this is Trek, and we finally got some pretty cool news in the last week or two. All right, now the biggie. Uh, The biggest uh, Trek announcement recently is we finally got a title for the next Star Trek movie, which is due out next May in 2013. So we're less than, so what are we, about eight months away now? Uh, it is going to be called, and this has been talked about, like I said last week, I think I even mentioned it on the comment I sent in, uh, it is called Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, no colon, no dash, just all one kind of sentence, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, if you had to ask me, I think that when they start to create some graphics and and posters for this it'll be star trek and then below that on the line below it'll say into darkness i mean so do they really need this colon or a dash or anything like that probably not of course when you write it in print it it becomes all one sentence kind of uh and without a colon or a dash or anything like that so there's been a lot of talk about that you know a lot of the trek movies have had colons you know star trek colon insurrection star trek colon uh, the wrath of khan you know i mean there's there's um a lot of that out there anyway uh i think it's a pretty cool title i uh, it's interesting to try to speculate on what it means does this mean a lot uh, you know okay uh, the the darkness idea you know any villain just about you know that they would be fighting even Nero, you know, in the last one, uh, you know, Khan in the past movies, uh, Cybok, whoever. I mean, they could have almost used this title on any of those movies when you think about it because it's, it's the you know, the, the darkness and the evil of a villain. You, you could blend it. It's kind of a generic title, as I guess is what I'm saying. Now, the question is, is it really that generic or does it something mean something even more specific than that? Uh, I, I, the one, a couple of thoughts on that, that I've had, uh, first off, we still don't know who, you know, the main villain is Benedict Cumberbatch. I still thought he was going to be playing some kind of genetically superior human that's been created. There was talk, of course, back about a month or more ago, Carl Urban, uh, especially who plays McCoy, who's also in that Judge Dredd movie, which is coming out in a couple of, or next week. Uh, he let slip, he said that, you know, Benedict was playing, Gary Mitchell. Now, if that ended up being true, I still don't think it is, but if that ended up being true, 
the Star Trek Into Darkness idea, remember, if you remember the original uh, episode with Gary Mitchell from the original series, Where No Man Has Gone Before, what starts out in that, or uh, what starts the, you know, Gary Mitchell getting the powers that he has and everything, is that the Enterprise it starts to explore deep space. It wants, to, they, they try to leave the galaxy, okay? Uh, we're kind of on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy anyway, so the Enterprise starts to, to push out into the really the great void there that's between galaxies you know have, galaxies are these huge huge clusters of of hundreds of thousands of stars and they were going to go out into the darkness of the the beyond beyond our milky way galaxy of course they hit that sort of pinkish barrier thing and gary gets zapped and the enterprise gets kind of messed up and then you know that 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 story kind of stops. They they don't leave the galaxy. They get kind of trapped. They they realize they can't get past that barrier. Of course, they do later on when the Kelvins take them over and uh, take over the Enterprise and by any other name from the original series and punch out from the galaxy towards Andromeda. But there's that big dead area, darkness of space, which pretty, which basically starless and empty between galaxies. So. If this movie would be about Gary Mitchell, the darkness there could mean a couple of things. One, it could mean them punching out into that big void between galaxies. And it also could kind of mean Gary Mitchell basically kind of going over to the dark side, in, in essence, in, in using some Star Wars terminology for, for Star Trek. And the fact that you've got a good, a fairly good guy to begin with, who then the power starts to overwhelm him that he, that he gets. He gets basically the power of a god almost. And can do almost anything he can he can think of and imagine with his mind, and because of that, he starts to go into you know the the dark area of of evil. Now, again, I don't think it's Mitchell. I don't think he's going to be the villain, but that sure fits with this title pretty well, at least from what we know from the previous version of this story. Um, I would still hope and think that there, this next movie is going to be a lot more original than anything that we've been talking about and not uh, call upon too many things from a previous TOS episode or from a previous movie like Wrath of Khan. I, I'm really hoping these guys came up with something much more interesting and unique than that. And uh, it's uh, it's getting you know slowly frustrating that we haven't learned much more. Uh, but I, I don't think we've got too much more time in another month or two, a couple months maybe. When the fall movies really start to hit, like the, the ones towards the holidays, November, December, I really believe we'll get some kind of little teaser trailer. There's even a picture online of of J.J. Uh, Abrams who, who you know took a little picture of him sitting at his desk as he was supposedly working on the edit for the, for the movie. So... Um, so that's the story, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. I think it's a good title. There's a lot of people that are kind of complaining about it, saying it sounds kind of goofy. The weird thing I found out when I did a little searching when the title came out, there's a horror-type movie coming out in, in 2013 called Into the Darkness. <laughs> so pretty close to Into Darkness. Uh, but, of course, they kept Star Trek in the title, and, and that I'm very happy with. I was very happy that they didn't go... Everyone usually uses the example of The Dark Knight, where... They went Dark Knight, you know, Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Returns, all that stuff. Uh, I, you know, Batman, I think, can kind of get away with that. I think Star Trek should always have the, the word Star Trek in the title of a series, a movie, whatever. I, I just think it fits. It, it's It's been around for so long. It's part of the... Uh, 
part of the franchise, you know, strength, I think, and I don't think it at all hurts you. I mean, the only reason to drop it is like, hey, we want to be different. And I don't think that's a good enough reason, in my opinion. I mean, there's no reason you can't have a subtitle with Star Trek in the, you know, the main part, Star Trek dot, 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 whatever you want to call it. So, all right, there's my two cents on the whole thing. Hey, if you guys have any thoughts on this, uh, please send an audio comment in about, uh, you know, what you think of this title, what you think about, uh, uh, you know, what the next movie might bring, what you what think that maybe the villain might be. Who knows? Uh, maybe it's uh, completely, again, something we don't know about or have any history with. So uh, you can always send comments in, treksf at gmail.com. All right, I am going to, well, I'm going to take a break, but I'm going to play to get us started with a look at the episode for this week, uh, the TNG episode about the binars, which I'm going to just keep calling it that because I want to—I don't want to keep saying one one, you know, oh 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 one all the time because that's a goofy title. It's a cool title, but it's hard to say in a podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, so here is the first intro, a uh, little bit of audio clips. Uh, the first one that I gathered—I think I gathered about nine today and this kind of sets the stage this is at the very beginning of the episode uh for uh this episode about the binars from tng's first season and i'll be right back and we'll get into it captain's log stardate 41365.9 the enterprise has been ordered to starbase 74 in orbit around tarsus 3 a routine maintenance check of all systems will be made, certain upgrades completed, including the holodeck with which we've had problems. I anticipate a glowing report. The ship has performed magnificently beyond anyone's expectations. Coming into position. Stand by to dock. Ready to dock, sir. Engage mooring beams and lock off. Aye, sir. And docking complete. Thank you, number one. Well done. And well done all. All right, the episode uh, here we're talking about again, this is production number 116. The episode is actually 11001001. Sounds like a destruct sequence code, right? When, uh, at least from Kirk's era. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in this episode. Anyway, this episode about the Binars and the Enterprise uh, docking at a starbase uh, to get some uh, work and repairs done to it is, uh, is pretty cool. It, again, it's the... Um, like the 15th, 16th episode of the first season, and it first aired on February 1st, 1988, way back then. It is written by, or was written by, Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin. Uh, both those guys have done other things on Trek, uh, especially Maurice Hurley worked a lot on TNG. So uh, this episode, I think they, they really are starting to show that the uh, the scripts and, and the quality of the writing and the acting ha has really started to advance and, and, and get 
much better. Uh, I think this this episode especially shows us that. And, uh, you know, there are other ones in the first season, I think, that you can point to like that. But this one has always been one that I remember pretty fondly and, and enjoyed quite a bit for a few reasons. Um, anyway, the, uh, the the basic premise, premise, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, there we go. The The basic premise is the Enterprise goes to uh, Starbase 74, uh, and they're going to get some work done on, on the ship. And because of that, most of the people are, are kind of allowed R&R on the Starbase and, and leave the Enterprise for the most part. You know, you've got a thousand, uh, a thousand people or so aboard the Enterprise. And who stays aboard, of course? Captain Picard, Commander uh, Riker, uh, Geordi Data, Wes... Uh, you know, so the main group uh, stays aboard for the most part, most of the main cast. The only one you don't really see in this episode, well, Tasha and Worf take off for the Starbase for a little bit, play some uh, play some Parisi Squares uh, competition thing they've been uh, challenged to uh, by the Starbase folk. But the, um, the one you don't see on here is um, Deanna Troy. You don't see Counselor Troy in this episode at all for some reason. I couldn't really find out why. I mean, that just happens throughout the whole run of Trek. Happens in the original series, happens in every series since. You know, you've got fairly large casts, and occasionally you, you, one of them's just not in an episode. One or two of them might not just be in an episode. And that, in this case, there's no real—no one has any lines that I could remember or heard when I was gathering the clips today about— you know, why she's not around or anything like that. You know, hey, she's there somewhere. She's probably just, you know, taking a bath or something. Who knows, whatever. While she's spending some time relaxing while the Binars work on the Enterprise. And, of course, things don't quite go as expected. Hey, it's a Star Trek episode. What do you expect? That that things are going to work a little strange. So the uh, we get these little group of guys. They're not really guys. Actually, it's, it's women that are playing them. Uh, sometimes a lot of in a lot of shows, you know, throughout Star Trek and other sci-fi, seems like they always like to use women for weird-looking aliens. A lot of times, if you remember the Telosians in the original series, they use women for them. The the binars here are these; they're actually dancers. I read uh, that were about the same height and size and everything like that to kind of look very much like almost twins to a degree. Their faces looked a bit different. But their their size and, and their you know their their body style and weight and everything like that looked pretty similar, uh, and I think that was important. They wanted them to look like they were almost like cut out of a you know machine and and and, and you know these little computerized people in a way. Anyway, they come aboard, and immediately, you know, people are a little bit suspicious of them. You know, hey, what what are they? What are they all about? And there's some comments about that uh, that Riker and Picard have, which uh, I think I got a clip for that uh, right here. Are these gentlemen the Binars? They're not gentlemen or ladies, Commander. They're a unified pair. They're always together. This is one zero, and this is zero one. They just finished upgrading the computers on the Wellington. Did a great job. Your reputation precedes you. I'm very pleased you're going to be improving our system. It is a great pleasure to work on such a large mobile computer. You have 48 hours because in 48 plus 6, we have an appointment on Peleus 5. We must keep. I thought we'd have more time. I'm sorry. This mission can't be delayed. If you want to postpone the work... Oh, no. This is the best time to do it. We can complete our work within the time allotted. They work very quickly, but it'll be very tight. Commander Riker and I will stay on board, be available should you need us. Thank you, Captain. I don't think we'll need you until we're ready for inspection. Five, two, and down to minus 6.3 degrees. Altimeters, 
The Bidon seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with them. As I understand it, over time, they have become so interconnected with the master computer on their planet that their language, their thought patterns have become as close to binary as it's possible for organic beings. It'll be interesting to see how they improve a computer as advanced as ours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the you know the binaries come aboard. They're you know wondering about them. They've never met them before, like uh, Riker says in that line. Uh, the um, the guy that's there, that kind of overseeing the repairs, uh, the actor is Gene Darnarski. What what kind of struck me about him? He plays this guy named Quinteros. Uh, is he looks like Picard, you know, <laughs> he has the, the same kind of balding, you know, look in his face. Their faces look similar. Uh, Quintaros is, is like uh, about another foot taller than, than, uh, Patrick Stewart. He's a, he's a real tall guy, but I don't know, for some reason, they, it looked weird to me when I first saw this episode to, you know, this guy comes aboard with the binars to help uh, work on the enterprise. And it's like, you know, you look like you could be Picard's brother for some reason. Is everyone in Starfleet, you know, uh, look, you know, look like they're, you know, this this balding, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that they, they out of all the actors out in the world that they, they could pick, they got a guy who who looks so much like, uh, you know, Captain Picard for this for this role here. Not a big deal at all, but I just found it kind of interesting, kind of funny. The, a little bit on the title of this, I, I'm reading some of this stuff off and finding it on Memory Alpha, uh, the great uh, source of Star Trek information and, and, and detail on, on the line. The 11001001 title of the episode is, uh, is actually 201 in binary. That's, you know, groups of, groups of four, and, you know, when you work it out, it's 201 is what that represents. Um also, a couple other things. The uh, this title they actually were going to call it one zero one zero one thousand and one was the, was the other title. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Uh, I remember back when I was doing some early computer science classes and learning binary to you know, and and it was kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting. And there, there's a lot to be said for very you know having. Um, you know, a sequence of things that's just, uh, it's just off or on a one, you know, being on a zero being off and the binars, some of this comes up later in the episode, have a very black and white, a very yes, no kind of decision-making process. There's no in between for them. Uh, and, uh, and that, I think I, I find that kind of refreshing a little bit and, and, and kind of nice and must make things a little bit easier for them. There's no gray area. Uh, one little comment here about this episode was originally intended to be filmed and airing uh, before the episode called The Big Goodbye. Remember the one with Dixon Hill and, and Picard's adventure on the holodeck? This, they were going to put this uh, binary episode in before that, and then they were going to explain some of the holodeck malfunctions in The Big Goodbye based on what the binaries did to the Enterprise here. Uh, but uh, they, they decided that's not the way they, they listed or had the episodes come out and filmed, so it didn't really matter that much. One other comment that I that I like, uh, what's cool about this and especially looks nice on the Blu-ray is there's a lot of very cool visual effects here. Some things they grabbed from other sources like some of the films like Star Trek Three: uh, The Search for Spock. Uh, they, there's some cool film with the Enterprise coming into the Starbase and uh, little shots of them when they're docked and connected with people 
going back and forth in the little tube between the Starbase and the Enterprise. Uh, lots of nice visuals, and they certainly look really cool and really nice on the Blu-ray version. So it, uh, it, you know, this is one of the times I thought it would impress me when I watched this episode you know, earlier when it was first airing was just how cool, you know, hey, look, they're going to use some movie effects in here. And it was a way for them to save a few dollars. There's no question about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it uh, it works pretty well. It, it looks good. And uh, the only little thing that I always kind of thought is, man, that Starbase uh, that there, that it, it's been around a long time, or that look and that design since they were using it back, you know, 70 years, 80 years before, back in Kirk's time. Uh, but, hey, if it works, it works. And, uh, you know, those things can't be cheap to make. So, uh, you know, it's probably been upgraded a little in the meantime. All right, let's get into some more of the episode. I'll play the next clip for you. I believe this is one of the, yeah, this is a scene where, where Data is doing a painting. One of the cool things and one of the things that I really like about this episode, and it happens throughout Star Trek and other series, each series gets in a couple of these kind of episodes usually, where you get to see the crew kind of at play or when they're relaxing, get to get a little bit insight into their characters, what they might like to do. There's a little comment. I don't think I got the audio for it where uh, Picard's talking to Riker about what they're going to do in their free time. Riker or Picard wants to just go to his cabin, put his feet up and read a good book. Uh, and Riker doesn't really have that much of a plan. He says he, he says something like, he, he doesn't know what to do with his off time. He's never very good with his off time. And I can kind of identify with that. I usually have stuff that I need to do, but I don't really plan it out too much. And uh, anyway, uh, this next clip is, is what Data is doing in some of his off time, which is trying to be creative and do a little painting. Well, what do you think? Tell me what it's supposed to be, and then I'll give you my opinion. It is an attempt at pure creativity. What we're investigating is, can Data be creative? And this is my attempt, with guidance from Geordi. I suggested the Xylo eggs. Is that what those are? Keep notes. This project may turn out to be of interest to scholars in the future. Really? Well, of course, think about it. A blind man teaching an android how to paint. That's got to be worth a couple of pages in somebody's book. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, Riker, Jonathan Frakes has a lot of fun with this episode. This is definitely, he makes some comments about it being a favorite of his from a season one. And, uh, you know, he gets a lot to do here. Uh, and we're getting into that uh, pretty soon here where he goes to the holodeck and meets Minuet and all that part. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he thinks that there there's a lot of, of cool and fun in this episode. And I agree with him. And he also really liked the Binars. He really wished they had brought them back, maybe even made one of them sort of a recurring member of the crew or recurring character on the ship or something like that, especially against considering how good they are with computers. You know, that, that makes sense. And, and who knows, maybe in some future Star Trek show or production, we'll see that uh, come about and they'll revisit them. Uh, and I'd love to see what the binars, you know, the binars might have been a useful tool for the uh, fight against the Borg, too, when you think about it, of how good they were. You know, just think if they had taken a couple of binars with them and beamed over to a Borg cube and, and had them go to town on their on their network and their computers. Uh, I mean, they might have been very useful for that. So it's that's you know I, again I, I think that would maybe missed opportunities but uh, you know that's the way it goes sometimes. All right, what else did I want to 
partake and, and, and share and, and talk about it during this uh, interim between clips. Uh, you know, this idea of data being creative, I think, is an interesting one. And, and I think that uh, there, when you think about what data does on a day-to-day -day basis, I have to believe he is creative because creative really ultimately comes down to taking what you know and adapting it and using it in new ways. And basically everything that Data does each day, how he interacts with the rest of the crew, how he interacts, you know, with doing his duties and his, and his, his you know, on the bridge and all that, he has to be creative. You can't just know you can't have a pre-programmed set of responses to every situation you have to be able to adapt and i think his i think they've talked about it in some of the episodes where you know data and sung especially you know some of the ones that got into how he was created and that was he, he has the ability to learn and to adapt and, and change so that is creativity to me so i i think he does have the ability to paint to write, to do whatever he happens to do and want to do, you know, and he, and he eventually, you know, becomes very much a, a fan and uses the holodeck and, and, and the idea of him being, you know, a Sherlock Holmes type character and, and, and trying to solve mysteries. There's no way you can't, you can do those kinds of things without being able to adapt and, and create in your mind. So I, I think there's no question about the data can be very creative. So, uh, all right, next up, we, we get into the holodeck portion. Uh, what happens eventually is the binary suggests that, that uh, well, Commander Riker is thinking of playing around on the holodeck. The binars are there and, and, and mention that they've uh, made some improvements and enhancements to the holodeck. And uh, Riker is about to be uh, really kind of uh, surprised and overwhelmed. Well, not really overwhelmed, but he's going to be very impressed by what the new holodeck is capable of. What's your name? Tell me you love jazz. My name is Minuet, and I love all jazz, except Dixieland. Why not Dixieland? You can't dance to it. My girl. What's a knockout like you? doing in a computer-generated gin joint like this. Waiting for you. Waiting for me. You can't be serious. Oh, yes, Will. I've never been more serious in my life. Yeah, so we get introduced to this uh, holodeck character, uh, Minuet, who, who loves jazz, except for Dixieland. And uh, she is played by uh, this actress, Carolyn McCormick, who, uh, who's done quite a bit. Uh, she's from Texas, and I was just looking over her entry on uh, IMDb. She was actually in Enemy Mine. She's in that movie, Enemy Mine. She played Morse. In Enemy Mine, which there was a recent a podcast about that, uh, another cool guest spot uh, that we uh, had on the show not too long back. Uh, she's obviously in Star Trek The Next Generation. She's done. She, let's see, what else? Uh, New York Undercover, Homicide, Life on the Street. She's done a lot of guest stuff. Uh, 
she's also uh, in done some video games things like Deuce X. Is that how you say that? I can never say that the right way. <laughs> Law and Order, The Practice, Judging Amy, Cold Case, One Life to Live, Law and Order, some more. Let's see. Uh, yeah, she's done quite a bit, and she's still active. Uh, looks like she's done some movies recently, one called Downtown Express. Uh, she's also did a guest spot on the uh, the show Body of Proof, and it looks like actually she she still looks you know like Minuet, uh, a little bit older, but uh, you know it looks like she's about in her early fifties now, I think. So uh, so anyway, she plays this uh, jazz loving uh, character in the holodeck that Riker runs into. She plays Minuet, who eventually uh, appears in another episode of Star Trek II. Uh, but uh, but here. She is basically, uh, in a way, Riker's dream girl. You know, he's a jazz guy. He loves uh, this this era on Earth and time. And uh, and yes, uh, Jonathan Frakes actually can play the trombone and did play the trombone in this episode uh, very well. And he does it a few other times throughout uh, TNG. So uh, they incorporate it. I like it when they incorporate what actors can are capable of and what they like and what they do into the shows because I think it becomes more real and, and it seems much more uh, believable that way. You know, you can fake playing music. I mean, there's no question that they can't uh, do that. Um, the trombone piece that uh, that he plays here is actually called The Nearness of You by a guy named, uh, written by Hoagie Carmichael. Uh, it's also uh, can be heard when Riker enters the holodeck uh, later on when Minuet, Minuet isn't there uh, later in the episode. Uh, it's also uh, it can be seen in the episode a conundrum as well. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's nice that they they give Riker again a little bit uh, uh, backstory and information, and the binary somehow knew this stuff too, obviously, and were able to maybe access his computer records and knew what he would appeal to him, uh, and had that kind of somewhat prepared is what you have to believe because because ultimately they're using this and later we learn to sort of uh sidetrack Riker and to keep him in the holodeck and aboard the Enterprise uh just in case they need him and uh, this is a way to sort of um distract him but also keep him someplace that they can keep track of him and know he's there uh, I'll talk more about that as we go through uh, late the later part of the episode so again, uh, very very cool. I always love the the idea of the holodeck, and you know, I, I I think with the way computer technology is going, and I know people are working on a lot of these virtual reality you know headset things. You put them on your head, and you can kind of immerse yourself in a, in a situation or a place. And there's no question that I mean, this is you know uh, hundreds of years from now uh, in you know the 24th century that we won't have something you know to to this almost degree by that point in time i have no doubt that technology can't get to that point to create situations and, and environments that people can interact with and and be pretty close to reality so uh um the uh one other little comment that i wanted to make here about this is there's some really good music and, and nice music in this episode that i enjoy quite a bit um by ron jones there is a cool Star Trek Next Generation uh, collection, uh, actually, that I got not that long ago. Uh, the um, the complete score, about 30 minutes of music, is on disc two of that set. It's called, if you search on Amazon or other places online, Star Trek The Next Generation, the Ron Jones Project 
uh, it's a collection of uh, multiple discs of music from TNG and, and some of them full, nearly full scores from different episodes. So keep that in mind, uh, especially, you know, we've got, uh, you know, a TOS set coming from La La Land. I know that company sounds funny, but that's the name of it. Uh, with all the TOS original music, a 15 CD set that'll be out before the end of the year, which they released the price on that. It's going to be in the like 229, I think is what it is, 230 dollars. But I'm still going to figure out a way to to buy it because I I just can't. You know, to me, having all the TOS music pretty much that was ever on any episode there is just going to be amazing. So I I love the the, the you know of course I love that series and I love the music from it. So. So there's some great stuff here by Ron Jones in this episode, and uh, it works well with the holodeck and the jazz situation and everything there. And so while this is going on, while Riker's kind of distracted, uh, the binaries are setting their plan into motion. And basically, uh, you know, what we eventually learn, and we'll learn in more detail later, but I'll just say now, they're trying to get everyone off the Enterprise. They need the Enterprise. They need the computer on the Enterprise to help with their planet and a problem that's going on there. So they, they basically fake a, a, a core meltdown, a core breach being caused by the, the antimatter containment, you know, going away. And, 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 and what we have in this next clip is, uh, is Data and Geordi finding out about this and, and then ordering the, the ship to be abandoned. Starbase, inform them we are abandoning the ship. Tell them why. Initiate automated sequence for departure. Set course and speed to put maximum distance between the Enterprise and any inhabited planets. Shouldn't we wait for the captain's approval? There is no time. Based on all information presently available, the decision is correct. This is Lieutenant Commander Data speaking for the captain. Abandon ship. This is not a drill. All personnel, this is not a drill. I say again, abandon ship. All personnel, this is not a drill. Abandon ship. Yeah, so they've uh, they've only got a few minutes to get off the Enterprise and and then direct the Enterprise to leave space dock automatically and to get away from the area so that it, you know when the breach happens it won't hurt anything or anyone. Uh, a couple little comments on continuity that, that I read here. One is is when Date is giving the order to abandon ship there, there's definitely a guy that's also in engineering, even though when they first go in, they, they say engineering's empty. You, you'll see a guy who's listening to the announcement to abandon ship. He's in engineering. There's the blue glow of the warp core there, uh, and and it's sort of a little bit of a goof. You know, they use some stock footage of, of Data uh, abandoning ship, ordering that, and uh, so there's, um, you know, stuff that'll get slipped in that he ho they hope people don't notice. Maybe there's another little mini engine room somewhere with a, a similar look to it. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I like the fact that Data takes charge here. You know, he is, they can't get a hold of Captain Picard. They can't find him. He's not answering. So so Data is basically next in command. You know, there's there's Picard, then Riker, and then Data. And Data just decides with, with what he's presented with, that they can't, they don't have time to, to stop this. They've tried to stop what, what's happening with the core. They can't, so he orders them to abandon ship. Fortunately, they're right by a starbase. People can either beam over to the starbase or just walk through the little tubes there that they're connected to and docked to and get off the ship. And then they, uh, and a lot of people were already off the Enterprise anyway. Keep that in mind. So that, that works in their favor. 
And this was a way for the binaries to get everyone off the ship and then basically hijack the Enterprise and get it off and take it to their planet. So, and, and we'll learn more about why that is the case uh, in, a, in a few moments. I think the next clip, yeah, the, uh, did I skip over one? I think I skipped over one. Darn it. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Uh, I don't think I played the one about Minuet. So we're going to slide that in right now. Aren't you going to introduce me? Yes. Of course, Captain Picard, this is Minuet. Minuet, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Enchanté. Comte merveilleux de vous voir ici. Incroyable. Vous êtes parisienne. Au fond, c'est vrai, nous sommes tous parisiennes. Ah oui. Au fond, nous sommes tous parisiennes. The spirit of that city can always enchant my soul. I have been hoping to meet you. Oh, have I been the subject of conversation? Indirectly. Come, join us, Jean-Luc. A glass of wine? Thank you. Will was saying how much he enjoys this assignment. It's a credit to you. For a ship and crew to function well, it always starts with the captain. You set the tone. At this moment, it is you who are setting the tone. The sophistication of this programming is remarkable. In what way? The holodeck has given us woodlands and ski slopes, figures that fight, and fictional characters with whom we can interact. But you, you're very different. You adapt. You spoke to me in French. It was very simple. When I heard your name, I merely accessed the foreign language bank. That's very impressive. Oui, monsieur. Yeah, so there you get to hear uh, Jean-Luc Picard speak some French uh, for about, probably about one of the longest times, I think, or most words he's ever spoken uh, on the show, just about. Uh, I like that. I like that part uh, where he's talking with Minuet, and uh, they're just having a, a fun time on the holodeck with Riker. And um, One other little comment I was going to make earlier, but I didn't. Uh, they were toying with the idea of actually subtitling the binars language you know when they talk to each other and it's like that electronic kind of sound that they go whatever it is i can't do it but uh they were going to think they were thinking about subtitling and they decided that that wasn't really necessary and and didn't do it and i'm kind of glad they did i think it makes more sense i i don't like when things are completely spelled out for you i don't think it's necessary and uh, i think it works better if they don't bother with subtitling for their language uh for their regular sounds, what they did is take the voices of the women who are playing the binars for the regular voices when they're speaking English uh, and kind of just lower the pitch in that and kind of make them uh, sound a little bit alien and weird and slightly electronic, too. So that's what you uh, get with their normal voices. But the other stuff, when they're just talking almost like computer speak or code to each other, they were thinking of uh, subtitling, but they decided against that. So, uh, all right, now that we're back on track for these audio clips, let me play uh, the, the next one. And this one is uh, when the Enterprise is actually hijacked. I think this uh, this clip, well, I don't think it's this clip that's the real long one. I have one long clip, about a four-minute clip, uh, that I think is uh, coming up after this one. Anyway, here's the hijacking of the Enterprise. Yes. Are we still docked at the Starbase? No. Position report. 
Coordinates 4159.26 by 81921 by 312. Heading 233, Mark 45. Destination. Planet Bionis in the Beta Magellan system. The Bionis. I don't understand the Bionis has stolen the Enterprise. That information is not available. It's a Bionis. You're part of this. Yes. They made you the lure to keep me here. They programmed you while I was relaxing. Yes. When they saw your interest in me, they thought I could distract you and keep you here. That explains Riker. What about me? Your being here was just a fortunate happenstance. What do they want with me? What do they want with the Enterprise? What's their purpose? I'm not programmed to give you that information. Come on, number one. We've got to regain control of our ship. Yeah, so Picard and Riker are not too happy at this point. Uh, the rest of the crew has uh, abandoned the uh, ship. They thought Picard and Riker and everyone was off the Enterprise, but they realized later that that wasn't true. And the computer's been kind of messed with and compromised, so that's understandable. But uh, they go down and set the auto-destruct and engineering, which is a, is a much quicker and easier process than it was in the original series. They don't have to enter codes they just kind of touch the panel and it reads their fingerprints and their voice prints and and both Riker and Picard have to be in agreement and and Picard's very very uh, matter of fact kind of about it all you know he's like if if we can't regain control of the enterprise in in, in the five minute time we frame we have with the auto destruct then then we can't let the ship fall into the binar's hands or anyone else's hands and he's prepared to just blow it up with them aboard so uh it's it makes sense. I, I, I always think it's funny that they, you know, why does, and I know they make this as for suspense purposes uh, on these shows and that, but if you're going to create like a, a one-time only like auto-destruct code, you know, for the ship, do, don't you think five minutes is a bit short? <laughs> like, would you be able to even get away like in a shuttle or, or an escape pod or anything like that far enough away when five minutes were up? I don't think so, probably. So maybe 10, 15. But again, the the question becomes then if, it, if it's under dire circumstances, like somebody's taking control of the ship from you, you don't want to necessarily give them time to override the, the auto-destruct in some way, you know. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. Uh, and I, I don't know. There's just – it always strikes me as funny that they, they always – you know, it's like bombs when they set timers in them and shows and everything. There's always like, oh, it's only got a minute timer on it. You know, well, why can't you guys make longer timers or set a long? You know, it's it, it's a little bit funny to me. Also, I would think the auto destruct you could just like they say, oh, it's always the 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 time is always five minutes. That that the, the the idea that they can't set the computer to tell it like, hey, we need ten minutes this time, or we need fifteen minutes this time, or we need five minutes, because he could have said, okay, well, we're in a dire circumstance. We're only going to give ourselves five or six minutes because we don't know what's up there and if they can override things. But the idea that it only has this one setting of five minutes, it just it, it's a tiny little thing. But I always just find it kind of humorous and, and a little a little bit kind of, oh, really? Really? That's the way the program is set up? 
you know, there's no way to vary that or change that a little bit. Uh, anyway, but again, this is a great episode, and a lot of fun. So I'm going to play. Uh, I got a couple couple clips left, and I think this next one is the longer one. Uh, this is basically the whole the whole shebang of what they find out about what the binars are doing. They save the the ship. They save the binars, and and so this this wraps things up pretty much. I think there's one more little short clip I'll have to play at the end, but this one's pretty long, three or four minutes. Four. I think minutes and then I'll be back and, and we'll kind of wrap up uh, the look at this episode. Tell me what this is all about. A star in the binary system went supernova and they miscalculated. The electrical magnetic pulse from the explosion was going to knock out their main computer. And so their only choice was to transfer all the stored information and shut down until after it passed. And then reactivate their system and transfer the information back to the main computer. The Enterprise has the only mobile computer large enough to handle all that information. So what went wrong? Why are they dying? The star went supernova before it was expected, and you were late arriving at Starbase 74. Why didn't they say something? Why didn't they just ask for help? I don't know. I don't have those answers. Is there anything we can do? Yes. Return the data stored on the Enterprise's computer back to the one on Binars. How can we do that? You don't know? Yes, if I had the file name, but we don't. Do you? I don't know what you're talking about. They wouldn't intentionally hide it. Make it difficult for us to find. Must be right in front of our faces. We should contact Starbase 74 and see if anyone can decipher this. They're dying. They meant you no harm. It was their world they were trying to save. Help them, Will. Hurry. Please. Starbase 74, this is the Enterprise. You read me. This is Starbase 74. Captain Picard, what is your situation? We'll go into that later. Right now, I must speak to Lieutenant Commander Data. I'm here, sir. Data, the Binars have stored an enormous amount of material in our computer. We need to access it, and we can't. The access would be available by code or password. Yes, I know that, Data, but what could it be? File names can be anything, sir. They want us to find it. They would have kept it simple. Then a name, or a place. It could be something personal. In this case, in binary language, which is ones and zeros in groups of eight or 16 characters. Would they have kept it that simple? Try it. Picard out. That's the file. It'll work now. Now access the file. Start the transfer. So much for that idea. Let me get on the other position. The binars always work in pairs. Maybe that is also required. Uh-huh. Appears to be successful. The system started up. A resident diagnostic program is running. The system is absolutely incredible.
It is reactivated. Our people express their gratitude. We will return to your starbase for whatever punishment your system requires of us. Why didn't you just ask for our help? You might have said no. But there was a very good chance we would have said yes. Our need was too great to risk rejection. And so you stole it. Their reason was part of the binary thinking. For them, there are only two choices, one or zero, yes or no. Why did you lure me to the holodeck and hold me there? Because we knew we might die, and we needed someone to restore our computer. And you did. No one has been hurt. You have achieved your objective. You have your planet back in order. We have our ship. Yeah, so the basically the, the binaries needed the Enterprise as sort of a temporary uh, like Enterprise computer as a temporary storage device for their for their computer, and uh, now now here's where the nitpicking comes up. Just a couple things. Again, I love this episode; it's a lot of fun. But 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 a couple things. First off, um, they say the star is it was good, you know went supernova in their system. I'm like. If their star went supernova, the planet would wouldn't have to worry about the pulse, the electromagnetic pulse. The, this the planet would be gone. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, maybe the planet had like a big solar storm. They could have said something like that. Why did they have to throw the word out supernova? I don't, I don't really get that. It, I mean, I, I, I've listened to that clip a few times and watched the show, and I'm like, they are talking about a star in the system of the binars, right? In the binar system. So, I mean, I'm like, or maybe it was a nearby star it's supposed to be. I don't know. Um, so that so that's one little tiny thing. The other one would be, to me, okay, they had to move all this information from their their huge computer on the on the planet it, to the enterprise computers so these four little binars were able to do that they had all that information like with them somehow or it was transferred like what wirelessly through space from their planet to the enterprise uh, i don't i don't know when or how that really worked I, i'm not quite following how they got all that information into the computer from those four little binars on the enterprise uh, that one i have a little hard time understanding because it's like they could hold all that information but you needed the enterprise for for all the you know the hold the, the whole, all the information from your planet's computer so it wouldn't get wiped out from this pulse thing from the supernova i that part i don't quite get either but anyway um and it's a little too neat and tidy at the end of how easily they could just move all that information from the enterprise back to the planet oh there you go um but anyway again not big things but just i would have tweaked it a little if i was writing it it wouldn't have been a supernova and i would have had a, some kind of an explanation in there maybe a little bit about how they were able to transfer all that info that way you know it, to the enterprise how they actually performed that and i know sometimes that's not really important but uh they sure did it pretty easily and pretty quickly uh but uh but anyway a great episode i've got one little clip left to play oh i also wanted to mention that the the guy uh, playing that commander uh that helped with the work on the enterprise when they were in dock uh, he was actually in Star Trek a couple. The actor Gene Dynarski, who played you know Commander uh, Quintaros here, you you've seen him a couple of times before. He was in TOS in a couple of spots. He was Ben Childress in the episode Mud's Women, the classic TOS episode. Uh, the guy, one of the miners on the planet there, and he was also Krodak, which was one of the guys. He doesn't do a whole lot, but he was in the Mark of Gideon from TOS, and 
also turns up again here, of course, in TNG. Uh, he's the guy, of course, that I say that looks like Picard now. It looks like he was balding back when he was Ben Childress in Mud's Women, too. He pretty much only had hair at the sides and the back of his head. So, uh, But he is uh, he's a, a Star Trek vet. He's 80 years old now and uh, still around, still doing stuff. So good for him. And uh, But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. He, he'll look familiar uh, to, to TOS fans especially. So uh, one last clip, and then we'll wrap up today's episode. We've got a, uh, some comments from Rick Moyer in a song, too, coming up. Uh, so stand by for that. But anyway, here's the last clip at the end of this episode uh, from TNG. She's gone. I tried variations on the program. Others appeared, but I'm in Uet. Maybe it was all part of the Binars programming. But you know, number one, some relationships just can't work. Yeah, probably true. She'll be difficult to forget. Yeah, so there we go with this episode uh, 1100-1001 from first season of TNG. Really a fun episode, and even with some of my nitpicks, I, I still enjoyed watching it again, especially watching it on Blu-ray. It just it just looks so, so nice on Blu-ray. I, I highly, highly recommend uh, when you get a chance, even if you don't even have a Blu-ray player yet, uh, you know, go buy one. They're not that expensive now or buy a PS3 or something like that, or buy a Blu-ray drive for your computer. Those aren't very expensive. And and watch these. Uh, these episodes, again, on Blu-ray just are, are terrific, and they've got some some new effects, some uh, awesome sound. I mean, the, the sound I was really noticing especially, and I know they had some trouble with some of those. I finally got my replacement discs, finally, too, for Season 1. Just got them. Uh, but they, it really, really sounds great now, the, the audio on these and uh, the music and, and just the mix of everything. So, see, they definitely enhanced and, and fixed that. Well, not just fixed it, but but made it just terrific and, and, and so much uh, crisper and, and, and better uh, than it ever has been before. So, uh just like they say in Star Trek, right? <laughs> Where no TNG uh, set of uh, uh, videos have ever gone before onto Blu-ray. But uh, yes, and uh, I'm looking forward to season two. And then we're going to get into really good stuff like season three and four of a Blu-ray of TNG. All right, that's my take on, on this episode. And now we've got some comment, comments from Rick Moyer. And I believe he's got a new song for us too. So take it away, Rick. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer. You are covering today, or you covered today, one of my very favorite TNG episodes. I call it the binary episode because I don't remember how to 11001-something or another. Anyway, what a cool episode. And let me tell you why I liked it so much. I liked it because they got off the ship and they walked onto the starbase. And I thought that was really cool looking for them to... I liked how they did that special effect where they're walking across that like sky bridge which would be a space bridge, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I liked that. I liked seeing uh, the guy that looked like Picard. Uh, he was kind of cool. And uh, it was fun to watch the crew kind of react to it. There was a lot of things in it that were really stupid and, and plot holes. But I really liked the show for some reason. 
and I I really enjoyed uh, the holodeck and minuet and all that jazz. That was just the whole thing was cool. And of course, you know, they used it down the road in, in some other parts of the series, and that was just awesome. So I wrote a parody song, uh, stayed up really late and got it done because I just I wanted to honor this show because it's one of my favorites of all time. Rico, I love what you do. I love Trex and Sci-Fi. You you totally rock. So I, I took the Don McLean American Pie song, and I changed it to, instead of American Pie, it's Binary Guys. And so here you go, the the... <laughs> The brand new song just for you. Enjoy right here on Trex and Sci-Fi. A numbered title on the show. I can still remember how a refit of the Enterprise computer style. The crew they had to leave, yes, all. Walk across the space dock hall. And hang out on the star base for a while. We left the ship to pasty twins Dressed in velour with tiny chins Wesley tried to talk to them Were they women? Were they men? They told us they were binaries Worked in pairs and weren't real hairy But something didn't feel right inside The day they stole the Enterprise So my oh my binary guys had to hide, stole a ride or they could all die Full Picard and Riker in a holodeck high saying let's go to warp speed and let's fly Yeah let's go to warp speed and let's fly you remember the look on the face When the Enterprise shot into space Data freak, Jordy looked concerned And also that guy looked like the captain Was completely baffled by what just happened They plotted the course to the binary homeworld Back on the ship, things were set Riker visited the holodeck Met a girl that made him dance The holodeck in hands He was number one But all alone Kelly met this girl And played his trombone To jazz music with a disco ball The day they stole the ship So Let's fly, let's go to warp speed and let's fly. Turns out their computer's broke, yet they are a peculiar folk. Instead of asking, they simply take. With their plan and dying, nothing live. They use the ship as a big hard drive to reboot the planet and make it alive. While the guys, they hedge their bed Riker danced with Minuet 
French speaking with the card. Distracting them's not hard. And while speeding at port speed nine, making up for borrowed time, a justified thieving crime. The day they stole the ship. So my oh my binary guys had to hide, stole the ride. Take it all die, full Picard and Riker in a holiday tie. Say let's go to warp speed and let's fly. Go to warp speed and let's fly. Picard and Riker recognize the ruse and question Min then for some news. She just smiled and told him what she knew. They went up to the bridge real fast. Found the binaries crashed. They realized they had to work as a team. And on the planet they sprang to life. The deadened computers turned on their lights. Computer language was spoken. They fixed all that had broken. When Riker searched just as he feared, his perfect lady. Disappeared. I think it's why he grew a beard the day they stole the ship. They were singing, My oh my, binary guys had to hide, stole a ride, or they could all die. Fool Picard and Riker in a holiday hide. Let's go to warp speed and let's fly. Let's go to warp speed and let's fly. My oh my binary guys had a hide, stole a ride, or they could all die. Full Picard and Riker in a holodeck hide. Let's go to warp speed and let's fly. Well, hey Rick, thanks so much for that uh, terrific uh, song for this episode. Uh, it was so so cool, and thanks so much for staying up late working on it. I know I know how that can be with doing a project, and and I, I and I knew I think I remembered you had mentioned previously that you really enjoyed this episode a lot. So I, I'm so happy that you had a chance to to send something in. And American Pie is is just a terrific song in general. Anyway, one of my you know, favorite songs of all time, probably. Just love the song, and it really works well for this one. So thanks again so much. Check out Rick's other parodies over at StarTrekParodies.com when you get a chance. And uh, thanks for your comments about the uh, the episode, too. That's great to hear. And uh, and I liked hearing your comments saying that, yeah, that guy looks like Picard, doesn't he? <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know. But uh, and it's, uh, it's a fun episode, really good. And in uh, one, I... I just can't believe I'd, I'd never covered. I would look back through the history. If somebody, if I accidentally missed, you know, looked at something, somebody let me know, you know, that I, I covered this like six years ago or something like that and slipped through the cracks. And I, but I, I searched and looked and, and looked through my archives and I didn't see that I had covered it. So I don't think I did. 
But uh, but anyway, if I did, I did it again today. <laughs> Maybe better. Who knows? But no, I don't think I did before. Okay, uh, and that's going to wrap things up pretty much today for today's uh, podcast, gang. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, just a little bit on uh, what's coming up on the show next week. A guest spot. Every other week is a guest spot. And you're going to get Doctor Who, a look at Doctor Who. And uh, this is going to be with uh, Meds and Chris. I think that's uh, all. I'm not sure if they're bringing anyone else into the mix on that. But uh, they're going to be here to talk about uh, another really cool favorite series of mine that started. I've watched now the third episode of the of the of what they call Series 7 or Season 7. I don't know of the new Doctor Who. Um, but um, it's been terrific. The recent one was with the Doctor in the Old West. And that's always fun. Uh, it, in or it's in that setting. It's just you know seeing the doctor, Doctor Who, you know, riding on a horse is always great. Um, but I'm looking forward to that next weekend. And then in two weeks, I'm going to cover. This is something else that I know I've talked about off and on occasionally throughout the years of doing the podcast, but I guess I've never done a dedicated show on it. But I'm going to talk about two series that I, I really enjoyed watching back in the, I guess, in the late 90s, uh, mostly early 2000s, uh, Hercules and Xena, uh, two fantasy shows that were kind of a little tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of fun to watch. I'm going to cover both of them together uh, briefly on, on the 30th. And then soon I will be updating the calendar for October and, and tell you what's coming up for uh, that time as well. So anyway, that's about it, folks. Uh, I'm going to uh, get this edited up and put online. And I hope everyone enjoyed this week's show. And it's been, it's good to do kind of a, a classic-style show here. No reviews of collectibles this week. I, I didn't really get anything much lately. Uh, I got a, a bust of Starbuck from Galactica. That was about it, which I was showing on the, uh, the anniversary show quite a bit, uh, which is a cool piece. Uh, eBay, pretty cheap. You can find those. Um, just, just search for Starbucks bust, <laughs> and you'll find some interesting things on the Internet. Uh, anyway, uh, I should get going. Oh, one last, one tiny, tiny, I keep saying that one last thing, one last thing, one last thing. I just finished a great book. Um, a Stephen King book uh, uh, that involves time travel called 11, I think it's 112263 is the title. It's the time travel book that Stephen King wrote a couple of years back about uh, time travel and the attempt by someone to stop uh, the Kennedy assassination. It's a great, great book. I highly, highly recommend uh, fans of just great reading uh, pick this up. It's not very sci-fi or, you know, real out there Stephen King really writes books about people and stories and 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 what what they how they deal with situations so the tech there's no real heavy tech in it I actually sent a copy of it uh, uh, or gave the copy of it to Lynn to read now and uh, so she's gonna she's gonna read it and she's not a big sci-fi or fantasy reader by any means so it's a great book if, if you if you're looking for something new to read check check out Stephen King's 11 2263 great great story and uh, I, I don't want to say anything really about it to spoil it but I, I really enjoyed it very much it's a long book but it was very enjoyable so that's it I am out of here editing and we'll get this posted and everyone again just uh, if you can if you can send a donation to the podcast that would be terrific I'd really enjoy that so that's it bye bye for now talk to you in two and next week Doctor Who so hey that rhymes <laughs> bye bye everyone happy birthday section sci-fi the big seven years yeah happy birthday to you happy birthday to you Happy birthday, Trex and Sci-Fi. Happy birthday to you.
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Dream Direction Sci-Fi. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy seventh birthday, Dream Direction Sci-Fi. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Treks and Sci-Fi! This has been a Wego Dusty podcast production.